0: This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management.
1: Now, on Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia, it's Legal Eagles Radio with Sam Pond. From the courtroom to talk radio 1210 get educated on the law from one of the most powerful attorneys in the country legal eagles radio with sam pond featuring who's who in the delaware valley legal community welcome to the courtroom and welcome to legal eagles radio and your host sam pond
2: and we welcome everyone in on the final weekend of of October as we come to you across the state of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, and in Pittsburgh on your hometown radio station. KDKA. This is Legal Eagles Radio with Sam Pond. It's a mid-election special uh, with a panel of very influential special guests who are going to provide some clarity uh, as we go into the midterm elections while finding some balance. Sam, in the words, common sense. And I come to you and say uh, uh, hello to you and welcome in.
0: Well, thanks, Joe. Look, we were um, a week out, a little bit more than the week out, and we're going to have our second segment. Next week, in regard to the election, uh, we have an all-star cast to talk to us about the midterm elections, not only in the state level, but in the federal level. We can also talk local politics. This show is about, as we all remind our listeners, and we're starting to get more and more listeners, so you know what it's about. But the new listeners need to know that this is about educating yourself through this (laughs) platform about your legal rights, which we can all agree, is extremely important. I think it's more important to, than, than getting a set of knives and how a pair of knives cut or knowing the, the latest diet fad. This is where the rubber meets the road for you to be a citizen. And right now, to express yourself as a citizen and to understand the laws is about voting. Because the connection is politics slash government, is where the laws are made. Then you are stuck with the laws that are made. So you better get involved. You better hear your vo- you have your voice heard. You better get educated. And we, can, talk- we can, can continue to talk about knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. And if you start getting informed about who the people you're voting for and what, they're, what they are enacting as laws and how that affects your life, you should be aware of it. Or if you're a middle class folk coming from a neighborhood and have a job and a union employee and you want to protect your union job and you have a collective bargaining agreement, are you aware of the term right to work? Are you going to vote to someone, for someone that has that term that is a PR term really enacted by or uh, discovered and created by the Koch brothers to eliminate the ability to collectively bargain? If you're middle class uh, and paying into the Social Security system, are you going to say and buy the rhetoric about Social Security being an entitlement and therefore saying that I'm going to vote for someone and supporting someone that's going to gut the Social Security system? That's going to take away your Medicare, that's going to take away your Social Security retirement, that's going to take your ability to apply for Social Security disability benefits? I don't think so, but you better know who you're voting for because quite frankly, we know, I know, a lot of people that are voting against their interests. And it's happening across the country. Why is it happening across, across the country? Why are you voting against your financial and social interests? You know why? Because you're not getting educated. You're not finding out about the candidates. You've got to know what they stand for. And you just can't be sitting down and, and not, and, and on your hands and not being a participant in the process. Look. This is how it works, folks. You go out, you vote, the people that you vote for and are elected, and we have three public officials and and we have two active public officials here and we have one ex-public official that all understand that they were public servants. What's a public servant? They are there to serve the public. They, you're their boss. You, the voter, you, the citizen, are their boss. You hold them accountable. So are you going to support someone that supports violence against the press? Are you going to support someone that doesn't come out and say, wow, what is going on with these, with these pipe bombs? Um, what are you going to do about a bully? Uh, what are you going to do about people lying in office? Uh, you have to really get engaged and have to really understand. But let's stay on mission. Let's stay on mission of the program because politics ties in directly to the law because our public officials make the law. So having said that, Joe, we have a lot to to cover uh, this hour and next week's hour. And we have experts to talk about the process, about the midterm elections, about their predictions, about the candidates, where everyone is at uh, in the state and the federal um, landscape. So let's get let's get going. Let's get started, and, and let's get educated.
2: This is Legal Eagles Radio with Sam Pond in Philadelphia on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. In Pittsburgh on your hometown radio station, KDKA. Back in a moment.
1: If you want to talk with Sam Pond or any one of his legal experts, call 800-568-7500. That's 800-568-7500.
2: And welcome back, everyone, to Legal Eagles Radio with Sam Pond. It's a political special along with j Doc. i Joe Krause as we come to you on what is the final weekend of the month of October. Uh, and as you said, Sam, when the show opened up and in your opening monologue, uh, now within range, within vision, is Election Day as it's coming up uh, on the other side of the corner. And it's all out there uh, for all of our listening, uh, for the listening audience. Uh, those four... Those against, they'll make the decision.
0: I think this is really uh, an opportunity and a timely show in light of, I think, maybe the most contentious election cycle that I've ever seen with uh, the gap, the separation, uh, this amount of animosity and acrimony that exists between the parties and people really digging in. Uh, And we're going to have a dialogue here with with folks that I think are worried about our system. They're going to be objective- in regard to uh, the landscape and people's ability to vote, and that constitutional right to vote. But let's let's introduce our guests because Pennsylvanians, uh, you are you're well aware of our guests, and unless you haven't been reading a paper, or turning on a TV, or or not even been awake, uh, and I know you're all awake. But our guests today are significant. We have Jonathan Seidel, the previous uh, controller of the city of Philadelphia, and Jonathan has been very much involved in Philadelphia politics for decades uh, and you're going to love hearing his voice and his perspective. We have Senator Hughes who's a leader of the Democratic uh, caucus out of the 7th district here in Philadelphia um, who has been a constant leader, constantly engaged, a great public servant for his constituents and obviously uh, Governor Rendell, the uh, the previous district attorney of the, of the county of Philadelphia and the mayor of Philadelphia and, and uh, a great governor and a great, a great public servant uh, who is not only known locally and statewide and regionally, but nationally, if not internationally. So I want to thank all of you for taking the time to be here today to talk about uh, this most important political cycle. Thank you, Sam. Uh, let's start out. Look, I just want everyone to understand, again, education. We want to make this clear and very basic for the listeners. We have local Politics. We have state politics and we have federal politics, and in the midterm elections right now, we are uh, looking at the federal landscape where we don't have a presidential cycle, but we have the U.S. Senate race here in Pennsylvania. We have Governor, Governor, uh, I mean Senator Casey, up for reelection, uh, and we have a number of significant congressional seats. But let's back up and talk about the congressional seats in regard to where we're at in regard to the districts in something called gerrymandering um, because we have a little bit of a different situation as a result of our Supreme Court right. changing the districts. Can And I'd like to have our, our in a really plain talk to educate our listeners exactly what gerrymandering is and redistricting and what's been the consequence now in the federal landscape.
3: Senator? I'll, I'll, I'll jump in, and thanks, Sam, for, for having me in with, with these... Uh, um, two very powerful and, and, and important uh, public figures for, for many, many years. You know, We, we the, the Supreme Court, I'll start with the back of the conversation first. The Supreme Court here in Pennsylvania, the oldest Supreme Court um, in the country, uh, the nation's first Supreme Court, right. uh, better said that way, um, made a decision uh, in, uh, uh, I, I'll say, the midpoint of this year, I believe it was in May, June, that time frame, if I remember correctly, um, to uh, adjust a wrong that was done um, almost a decade ago uh, in how the congressional districts were drawn in Pennsylvania. You know, just as a context, Pennsylvania has one million more uh, Democratic uh, registered Democrats uh, than Republicans, uh, but um, the congressional districts that were drawn 10 years ago uh, resulted in, uh, I guess, 13 Republican uh, Congress people and five Democratic Congress people. The districts were drawn in a very partisan fashion. And from a legal standpoint, as you as, as, as you and these other two gentlemen are, are, are attorneys, uh, the whole, the whole one-person, one-vote uh, uh, rule was violated based on the way those districts were drawn almost 10 years ago. So the Pennsylvania Supreme Court um, made a decision uh, earlier this year uh, to redraw the lines to make them fair, make them equal, uh, make them in many respects nonpartisan, but make them more representative and consistent with the one person, one vote situation. So now Pennsylvania has a very competitive. Uh, congressional election cycle that we're going through. Whereas the election cycle for Congress people beforehand under the old lines was not competitive because of the way the lines were drawn. And that's
0: on the federal level, right? And that's now. That's that's, that's right. on the
3: federal yeah.
4: level.
0: That's not applying to the state the Not to the, to the state, the state races, level. But that'll come sooner or not. That'll come sooner. John, chime in you on know this. What?
4: The thing that's interesting is that uh, and people have to realize the interrelationships between who they elect as state House members and state senators, as well as who they elect as governor and how that affects their congressional races. Reapportionment is done every 10 years, and those that control the House and the Senate actually Why, control Let me interrupt you,
0: because again, we, we're trying to educate. Why right. is it done every 10 years? Consensus?
4: Yes, that's okay. uh, it's our our, our census is done every ten census. years. So yes. they do they do. I wish there was consensus, but they <laughs> they do the census every ten years, and then they and they base on reapportionment. The interesting thing about the reapportionment is that if the Republicans control the legislature and the governor, they effectively control the way in which our our congressional races are apportioned. Now, you know, it's one person, one vote, but there's also supposed to be part of the law, some sort of commonality of interest. So mm-hmm. what you see now is Madeline Dean running in Montgomery County, because if you live in Montgomery County, you're going to have the same commonality of interest because you live within that county as before. You know, Congressman Boyle took part of it. You had some other people taking part of it. And if you looked at those districts from 20,000 feet in a plane, it's absolutely amazing how they would draw the lines. To keep the, the same amount of people in each district, but there was no relationship between where uh, the end of a congressional district was as compared to the other end. So now we have districts where there's like kinds, uh, uh, like elected officials, and uh, and a commonality of interest that we can then say, "Hey, he, she's going to represent Montgomery County."
0: You know, I have I had uh, Brendan Bolatti here do some research for me about gerrymandering, just so everyone understands it. You know we're looking at this term that came about back in 1812 right. because they started to, to some politicians started to pack <laughs> districts uh, and, and, it, and it the definition is diluting the voting power of the opposing party supporters across many districts and packing or concentrating the opposing party's voting power in one district to reduce their voting power in another district gerrymandering may also be used to help or hinder a particular demographic such as a political, ethnic, racial, linguistic, religious, or class group. And we've seen that in North Carolina where they divided this on racial lines. And the the United States Supreme Court came out unanimously, very rare, and said this is clearly racially based. It's discriminatory. But what we have when we have gerrymandering is we basically have the politicians telling us how to vote as opposed to voters having the free will to vote, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's really what's happening. Yeah. So yeah. we've now got this change that if you look at the new congressional map, based on what the Supreme Court did, right. and I'm being objective here, bipartisan. Mm-hmm. It's fair. It looks normal. It makes sense. The other thing looked like uh, this crazy oh, it, jigsaw it was, puzzle. It, it didn't crazy. make any sense. It was crazy. But again, you're packing the district so that despite having a million less voters, you can control... The the, the, the legislative the districts for yeah. both 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 on the federal mm-hmm. level and on the state level. Now we've we've cured it on the state level. Right. What has to happen to, to fix it on the federal? I well, mean on on the federal level, what needs to be happened to cure it on the state level?
3: Well, the the, the first thing that has to happen is um, obviously uh, an ex, an extensive and a strong voter turnout on November sixth, um, which. Uh, we we all do better when we're all voting, okay? The the country is better, communities are better when more people are engaged in the voting process. So a strong vote on on November 6th is important. Uh, Then, as you talked about earlier with the census, uh, Sam, uh, in uh, 2020, um, there'll be an effort to uh, uh, do a census, which is a count of every uh, person in the United States of America. Every person in the United States of America uh, gets counted. And then um, in 2021 um, we'll go about redrawing the lines at the legislative level. Now at the legislative level in Harrisburg, we have a commission. And the commission is represented by four caucuses uh, are represented from each of the four caucuses. Can be, can, can, it has to be uh, a person that the leaders of each one of the four caucuses in Harrisburg the House Democrats, House Republicans Senate Democrats, Senate Republicans. And then the fifth person is chosen by as the chair the fifth person is chosen by the Pennsylvania Supreme Court and so that that person will make that'll be the Commission the Commission will review lines that will review districts uh, and then they'll make a determination uh, based on the plans that are submitted to the Commission of what the legislative districts look like but it's braced first and foremost on the census and if we don't have an accurate And this is extremely, extremely important. We've had this conversation privately before. If we don't have an accurate, uh, aggressive, thoughtful count where everybody is pulled in and everybody is counted, then everything that follows from there will be essentially corrupt, will, will not be exact and that is very problematic because resources are determined based on that. Um, businesses are set up based on uh, census numbers. Funding percentages in the budget. Fund- funding for, for education right. or for economic development or whatever. Businesses use the census data all right, to make their decisions about where to locate and what kind of business is set up. Everything is de- is dependent upon that. And it can be very hard to get an accurate count. Uh, I'll give you an example. In in 2010, uh, you had President Obama, you had Mayor Nutter here in the city of Philadelphia, both individuals who were thoughtfully working hard to get an accurate count. They did a first pass for the city of Philadelphia. Uh, Mayor Nutter said, that doesn't sound right. That number doesn't sound right. Something seems to be off at at that. Um, So they created an an overlap organization that went back into communities and found 130,000 additional people. On top of the first count that was done, but that's significant. Was that a, was that a negligence or was that
0: something that was intentional? It's it's it's,
3: it's well well you have other shenanigans going on here. Or I, d- is it just I a don't I, I don't believe that. I believe I do. That, I, I, d- I always believe the shenanigans. Well well <laughs> I don't believe there's shenanigans because you had two individuals, the, the the president, President Obama, and Mayor Nutter, who wanted an accurate count. They wanted everybody. To thank be counted, God they did. Okay, yeah. and thank God they did. And then when there was a question, there was an opportunity to try to Fix that and get, make sure go out one more time and go deeper into various neighborhoods and find folks. And so they did, so they did that. And the problem that we have right now, as you're aware and your listeners are aware, coming up in 2020, we're sitting in, in a presidency uh, where there's a lot of pushback on, on this whole issue of accurate count. Is the Census Commission uh, being funded at an appropriate level to have enough that's folks right. out in neighborhoods, all right? Are they asking the right questions on, on, the, on the paper a document that goes out to every American citizen? So all of that is out there. That's why, final point, that's why this election is so important. Because if you have the right folks in Congress and the right folks at the state level, then you can force a system that goes out and gets an accurate count.
0: Well, let's John. Let's talk about the shenanigans. Let's talk about why not the funding. What, what's the purpose of not funding an accurate census, in in light of its importance? Why would it, why would a, why would the, a public official not want to have an accurate census?
4: Well, you know, if the if the other party in control of the of the state, uh, a place like Philadelphia, Allegheny County, that are predominantly Democrat, the. The, the less of our census the less money we can actually get from the federal government when it comes to education quality of life Department of Human services all the social programs that we attempt to get through grants and initiatives through this Harrisburg are, are based are based upon the percentage of poverty the population that we that we need to control and help and move forward and and if, if I if I was donald trump you would try to break it down to zero so you have you know, a very small amount of people that are going around doing interviews.
2: This is Legal Eagles Radio with Sam Pond. This is a Legal Eagles political special in Philadelphia on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT and in Pittsburgh on your hometown radio station, KDKA.
1: Now back to Legal Eagles Radio with Sam Pond. Talk Radio 1210 WPHT.
2: This is Legal Eagles Radio with Sam Pond. This is a Legal Eagles political special in Philadelphia on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT and in Pittsburgh on your hometown radio station, KDKA.
0: Well, look, is it, is it, that's, this is the kind of information that our folks, you know, our listeners really need to know about and get educated about uh, and call their public officials and say, demand, demand, demand that we have an accurate, uh, count in the census. And it's interesting, usually the disenfranchised mm-hmm. right, um, and the folks that are uh, you know socioeconomically are, uh, more disadvantaged are the ones that are going to get excluded and generally they're Democratic voters. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and they're generally urban Mm, Uh, and we're missing out on them. and We don't want to go out and put the effort in. It's not acceptable. That's not a democracy because every citizen counts. Every citizen. And everyone has to be counted in order to make these kind of decisions for funding, et cetera. We're we're now, you know, we're a week away. Uh, It's too late to vote. But I think if anyone's missed the boat in regard to voting in this cycle, uh, they need to register. And I'm going to tell our listeners, if you need to register to vote, you just call our office call our office, call our hotline, and we will get out the information to you uh, to register to vote. If you need an educational tutorial on how to vote, call our office and we'll make sure that happens. We want everyone's voice to be heard uh, that's a citizen in our counties, in our state, and in our government, in our federal uh, landscape. And we have listeners, We have, by the way, we have listeners outside of Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. we have listeners in New Jersey, we have listeners in New York, we have listeners in Delaware and Maryland and Ohio and West Virginia. We want all of you to get engaged. It's extremely important. You can't complain. If you're not going to get engaged and you're not going to get on the field, then you can't complain. You gotta get in the ball game. You gotta wake up. You can't be a fool. You can't be taken advantage of. You gotta get engaged. And uh, we're trying to help you get engaged. So let's let's continue the con Joe Doc, you have one you wanna part? get something in here?
1: Yes, Sam, when you opened up you talked about um, uh, you know Individuals voting against their interests, and the last time the governor was on, we talked about, you know, voting with their emotions, um, and I'm really interested in this conversation about, about the the local and statewide and, at, and federal levels, but l- let's look at it at the presidential level and the electoral college. I mean, you you know, people, you know, you get your disenfranchised voters, we you get your people that don't think that their vote counts, right. and it's very difficult to, to to have a presidential election and look at the popular vote. and still, you know you, you, you lose you lose the election. And in many ways it gives, for example, the Republicans, an opportunity to campaign in those votes in those states that, that, that you know, where they have the electoral college votes. And my point is, why does that? I know it's, you know, it's 200 years old, but the question is, why does that still go on? How can America still have, you know, have a presidential election where one party uh, strategically targets states that obviously the, uh, where they can win the election but lose the popular vote? John, Senator. I, I, look, let me. I, I could. We could spend more hours than
3: you have allotted for this conversation. Uh, the uh, the efforts around voter suppression that are going on all around the country um, are repulsive, but they're organized. They're they're strong. We got a we got a governor's race in uh, um, in Georgia uh, where it's like 80, uh, 000, April, right right where where where. Um, uh, the the, uh, the the Secretary of State is running for governor, and the Secretary of State and running the election, and uh, the Secretary of State in the state of Georgia is responsible for the election process in the state. All the voter registration forms come through his office. Everything in the electoral process comes to his office. And the most recent allegation is that there are fifty three thousand voter registration forms uh, in his office that he's just sitting on. Not processing, the overwhelming percentage of them are, are, are African American forms, okay? And, and, and suspicion would be largely Democratic. So he's running for governor sitting on folks who want to vote, sitting on re- voter registration forms who want to vote. You know, so, 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 so. These are the kind of things, though, I think we all
0: have to get on top of a mountaintop. Well, I agree and with you because... It's scream and yell about, but, 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 but it also gets the importance of, of the secretary of state position in each one of our states.
1: Right, but it's what, what people... And it, somebody once said this, and it was... This is it, a civics course, by no, the way. No, I totally it's, agree. This the, is exactly why we want but to educate the people. presidential elections, you only it's the only position you can run for where there's an electoral college and i was thinking as i was coming on to this set was it's almost and and it's a, it's almost like a a, a way of gerrymandering to prevent at the, preve- at the pre- well, presidential level it's it's the
4: it was it was a it was placed in the constitution because it was one way that you could get the smaller states to vote for the constitution because it gave them an opportunity to have a voice States decide whether it's all or nothing, like in Pennsylvania, it's all or nothing. Some states, if you win 60%, the other guy gets 40, you get 60% in Electoral College, the other guy gets 40. It, it's not uniform. Um, and look, what, what was it, 80,000 votes that separated Trump from— Exactly. You know, exactly. So we lost the entire Pennsylvania because of a couple counties.
1: That's unbelievable. You know?
0: Well, do you want to chime in at all at all on this, Governor, about what we're talking about in regard to um, – Joe has the idea of the electrical college and electoral college. And, and by the way, we, we, we understand our founding fathers did a pretty damn good job, and, and it goes back to the small states. It's exactly why we have U.S. senators in That's exactly states. That's exactly right. Uh, because we wanted the small states to be protected, even though they're, they have the same amount of voice. Uh, a small state like Rhode Island has the same voice as California. Uh, whether or not that is something that we should reconsider, it's not going to happen on a constitutional amendment, that's for sure. But that's what we're stuck with. That's what the founding fathers gave us. We have to abide by it. Governor?
5: Well, I think that uh, Senator Hughes and former Controller Sidel, did a brilliant job. Um, I was sitting here absolutely awed by their intelligence or perception and the way they explained it to people in an rational, <laughs> easy to understand uh, form. I, I think they did a great job. So can I be excused?
0: They've covered it all. No, pay.
5: I just have to make one correction only because I know that Sam Pond being one of the greatest lawyers perhaps ever to live in the Commonwealth. Uh, he is uh, 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 dragging about accuracy. The no state splits their electoral college votes by the percentage of vote gotten in the election. There are two states that divide their electoral college votes by congressional district. Oh,
4: that's right, congressional. The,
5: the Nebraska and Maine, mm-hmm. so that you can in in Maine, let's say you win the popular vote in the state of Maine. But you lose one of the two congressional districts. Well, your opponent gets one electoral vote, and you get the two that you win from carrying the state, plus the one congressional district, three to one. And Nebraska gets the same, except Nebraska has uh, uh, four uh, four electoral votes. That's right. So th- that's important. Yes, that's but true. Actually, what Jonathan Seidel suggested would make the electoral college much more fair and representative. For example, Donald Trump won, as you all will recall, our host and the, and the two other eminent guests will uh, recall that Donald Trump won Pennsylvania with about 48% of the vote, Hillary Clinton got 47%, and the two uh, third-party candidates split the remaining four and a half five percent 5%. So instead of Donald Trump getting all uh, 18 of our uh, uh, electoral college votes. Or electoral college votes. Excuse me, it was 20 at the time. All 20 of our electoral college votes, he would have gotten nine and a half. Hillary Clinton would have gotten nine. And the two third-party candidates would have split a, a half of uh, uh, electoral college votes themselves. And that's fair because Hillary Clinton would have gotten almost as many mm-hmm. electoral college votes as um, Trump received, and she wouldn't have lost all 20 votes mm-hmm. given the fact that she lost the state. Now, that would only work if it, if it was a constitutional change requiring every state to have that. It would have to be uniform. If every state had that system, the Electoral College would more closely reflect the popular That's vote. Exactly right. In fact, I've done the math on this, if that system were in effect, Hillary Clinton would have gotten a plurality of Electoral College votes. 256 Electoral College votes, more than Trump, or certainly more than the third party candidates, but not enough to have the 270 that the Constitution requires to be elected president. So that election would have been sent to the House of Representatives, and that's nothing anybody would want to see either. (laughs) So it's not so easy to get rid of the Electoral College vote. Some people say, well, forget about the Electoral College, let's just have a popular vote. Whoever gets the most votes wins. All right, let's 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 suppose that Hillary Clinton, instead of beating Donald Trump in the popular vote by three million, she beat Donald Trump in the popular vote by 17,000 votes. That would mean you would have a recount in every precinct in America. Every precinct in America would have to have a recount. Because remember, you're counting all the votes, to every vote in Maine, every vote in Nebraska, every vote in New York. And... You wouldn't know who the president would be until the following March, so going to a strict popular vote is not so easy either. So, well, do you think there's a real need for the electoral college now?
3: I mean, it's I mean, there's 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 some history, there's some history that 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 tags the um, the way we see the electoral college right now, which comes out of as more folks got engaged in the electoral process as the franchise was extended to women to African Americans and all of that that there was a movement to move towards the electoral college to essentially disenfranchise all of these new folks coming into the system
5: well the so popular I mean, vote as I said the biggest problem with going to a strict popular vote is if it's close you literally have to recount every precinct in America and that would be a Horrible fiasco! Can you imagine in the current vitriolic atmosphere having a nationwide recount because one candidate got 17,000 votes out of 68 million more than the other?
4: The Electoral College is also supposed to force candidates nationwide to go to areas that they may not normally have
5: gone to because The, the argument is the argument is that. You now have to go to a smaller state that has five electoral college votes or three or whatever. Whereas if it was just a popular vote, you'd concentrate on the big 10 or 11 states. But the fallacy of that argument, Jonathan, is, as you know, today, with some states being certain Republican states... And other states being certain, Democrats. California. That already. Right. No one puts TV ads on in California. The that's biggest right. The state of all, all anymore. anymore.
4: All that was set up. It's when exactly we the opposite of right. That's right. Actually, so
5: it saves, it actually saves
3: Governor Rendell a lot of money since right. he doesn't have to. Yeah. But that's the ironic thing. <laughs> and <laughs> and it, Remember, the Constitution it,
4: was set up when we didn't have political parties. They didn't want political well, parties.
1: But, the, but, but initially, I, it was for the small states. Now, no one's going to
4: California. <laughs> who, who's this guy? <laughs> it looks like this two-bum from almost uh, guy. So, We're just trying to do diverse. We're trying to be diverse. <laughs> diverse. But,
5: but, but, but listen, the presidential election is conducted in about eleven states. Yeah, the other thirty-nine states, the Republicans are going to win Texas, Democrats are going to win New York. So no one campaigns in those states anyway. So that's the fallacy of that. That was the original thought of yes. the framers that by giving each state some electoral college votes, it would force the presidential candidates to campaign in that state. We don't see that anymore. No. But if we had the proportional electoral college no, system you'd, ha-
4: you'd have to. That you inadvertently suggested. I thought of it deep in my mind.
0: <laughs> well, inadvertently I, deep I, in my mind. But I, I think the greater injustice may be, may be having two Senate representatives from each state, and when you look at Wyoming having two Senate, senators and California having two, you know to the, the, the say that the the million or eight hundred thousand people in Wyoming are going to have the same voice than the forty million in California, that to me doesn't make is, a lot of is, sense. Is, is problematic because really you're not getting representation for the forty million times or you know less 39 million in 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 Wyoming.
5: And Sam let me give you a graphic example of that which of course Senator Hughes and Controller Sidel know when Barack Obama became president in 2009 the Democrats controlled the Senate and the House. Uh, the Democrats had I think uh, 56 senators uh the Republicans had 44. But because of the filibuster rule 60. You need 60 votes. So in those days, the, the Republicans or anybody could have stopped legislation from happening if 40 senator, 41 senators who represented 17% of the nation's population were against it. Say that again because I think our listeners need to hear that once
0: again in regard to how our Constitution is structured and the consequence now
5: because of what we have in the way
0: of population. Say it
5: again. They could have stopped any proposal that President Obama put forward, if forty-one Republican senators voted for it, and those forty-one represented states that accounted for seventeen percent of the nation's population. So, despite
0: eighty-three out of one hundred Americans wanting a certain policy, it's going to be stopped by the minority of seventeen percent. Now, no, we want, we don't want, we, we we're basically driven by a majority. Mm-hmm. The majority will, the majority of the folks are going to drive what we have in, in the way of laws. Um, but this but, is this is intriguing. First of all, I think we need about five hours to cover this. We're going to turn into the House races, which are governed the House of Representatives, which are governed by population, and we have 18 Sam, before we go to break, let me that.
5: say that the, the framers had some wisdom in what, what oh, they did. Much wisdom, because the theory is that sometimes the majority of the population can be driven into a frenzy and and before something that was very destructive. For example, the incarcerating of Japanese-Americans. We put Japanese-American citizens in prison, essentially, for no other reason than they were Japanese-American in their heritage when there were Japanese-American boys dying and fighting on our side of the war. Well, the most decorated
0: outfit during the Second World War was the Japanese-American outfit that fought in Italy. They had the highest casualty rate and the most medals per per unit Um, so they
2: they were true patriots but you're right uh, good point governor this is legal eagles radio with sam pond we'll take a short break and finish up with our number one of the election special
5: oh yay oh yay oh yay
3: god save the united states and this honorable court
1: talk radio 1210 wphd legal eagles
2: radio with sam pond and that legal eagles radio hotline is one eight hundred seven two three eight seven fifteen one eight hundred seven two three eight seven one five.
0: Joe, we're not going to. We're not going to. Uh, regrettably, on this hour, it looks like we're not going to be able to talk about uh, some of the issues in regard to uh, the House of Representatives. But we want to talk about the candidates there. Uh, I do want to turn to the west, western part of the state, and talk about Connor Lamb. Right. Uh, we have. We have such polarization. We have such extremes, and quite frankly, as we all know, the majority of Americans are in the middle. You know, my mother was a was a good old fashioned uh, Rockefeller Republican, and mm-hmm. my father was a, a an FDR Democrat. Democrat. New Deal. Uh, it, my father was actually a little bit more extreme than my mother. We we want to look at a race, I think, that really talks about someone that's moderating and looking at at, at all the different issues, both social issues, fiscal issues. Um, and that would be Connor Lamb out in the West, uh, Governor. W- what did Connor do? That district went for Trump big. Um, it was be- I think the, the 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 special election was before we have the, the redistricting. Tell us about that race and your impressions of it. Yeah,
5: Donald Trump won that district by 11 points over Hillary Clinton, and Connor Lamb was not given much of a chance when he started out. Well, Conor Lamb turned out to be a great candidate for the district in the sense that his views reflected the views of the majority of the people right. who lived in the district. Uh, that doesn't mean that Connor isn't courageous and doesn't take some difficult stands. He does. But his, his views were for Democrats who live in San Francisco or the west side of New York. Conor Lamb would have been considered almost not a Democrat. Uh, because he was conservative on some fiscal issues and some uh, issues involving social Second Amendment, causes and uh, things like that. So uh, Democrats would say to me, well, why are we giving money to Kyle Lamb? He doesn't believe in our values. Well, the answer is both political parties, but certainly we Democrats should reflect people who have views that cover all sides of the spectrum as long as they adhere to our core value. And what's the core value of the Democratic Party? I think it's easy to to, to enunciate. We want economic fairness in America. We want an economic policy that gives everyone a chance to have a a, a sustainable uh, income that can build a decent life for themselves and their families. We want economic fairness. We don't want tax cuts to go 83% to the top 1% wage earners in the country. If we're going to have tax cuts, we want them shared by the people who need them the most. Sam Pond doesn't need a tax cut. Mm -mm. I mean, Sam Pond could live on the money he makes for the rest of his natural life without earning another dime.
0: (laughs) I'm not going to argue. It's so true. I don't need a tax cut. Let my clients get a tax cut. So,
5: Connor Lamb was a good Democrat when it came to economic values Mm -hmm. and economic fairness. I don't care that much that Conor Lamb was for the Second Amendment rights because Conor Lamb understood that Second Amendment rights didn't mean, for example, not voting for universal background checks. Ninety percent of America is for universal background right. checks. So Conor Lamb's a good Democrat. Joe Manchin's a good Democrat. When Joe Manchin voted for Kavanaugh, I t- t- tweeted out on my t- Twitter, I said, Joe Manchin is a good Democrat who believes in the economic fairness that's the key to our party's values. Um, I disagree with him on his Kavanaugh vote, but we shouldn't beat up on him so much because he's a good Democrat. Um, And I got savaged on Twitter for that because he didn't vote for Judge Kavanaugh. Well, in West Virginia, I would imagine 90 percent of the population would have voted to approve Judge Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. And Joe is reflecting the votes of his, of his uh, constituency. So I think it's very, very important that we have moderate Democrats, we have progressive Democrats, we have socialist Democrats. Some of the uh, young people who've been elected who call themselves social Democrats, there's a place for them in the party just like there's a place for conservative Democrats, the Joe Manchins, the Phil Bredisons, and I think if we had an audience of a, a, a panel of Republicans, Sam, they'd say the same thing. Nelson Rockefeller was a good Republican. By current standards, he'd be considered a progressive. Barry Goldwater would be considered a moderate now.
0: We have we have some we have some good moderate Republicans. Charlie Dent. We didn't. have some good moderate Republicans in our Commonwealth. I don't agree with all that what they stand for, but but there's a lot of good, solid, moderate Republicans that are. Responding to their constituency, whether it's a labor issue, whether it's a social issue. Uh, they may be fiscally conservative, they may want to worry about big Chamber of Commerce issues, but I think. It- all said and done is this is where we have this commonality when we start having this rhetoric that separates us and we can't get any work done and we can't compromise we don't move forward with our democracy and that's no big question well, well I think we just got
3: i would I would just suggest I would just suggest and, and again another topic that we could spend hours and hours on that we need to be really mindful about the extremist conversation on 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 the right and the left okay um, i'm i'm as I'm as progressive as as it comes. Um, but there's nothing on, on in the progressive space that equates um, as, as destructive as um, the extreme extremities of the, of the right side of the conversation. And there's, 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 no, there's no justification for what happened in Charlottesville. There's no justification for uh, um, what we see, what we're experiencing right now as we speak with this um, pipe, bomb, pipe bomb conversation.
5: But let me just interject, Vince, to say that we can't claim that that's all on the right. For example, you recall it was a progressive Democrat who took a semi-automatic pistol and shot up the Republican softball practice. And he was No,
0: I don't think that's the issue, though. I think that what the issue is... It's a policy and, conversation. You, 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 can, have, you, you right. can speak for yourself, Senator. I think the issue is what's our response to it? What's our response? No, our to, response what's, is, uh, what's our response to having an assault on a reporter, which is a felony, as opposed to saying we're not going to get violent? What are we telling our citizens? What are we telling our kids? We're not condoning pipe bombs.
5: No, it's zero tolerance for pipe right. bombs.
0: It's zero tolerance but for Sam, assaulting someone. But we are not without press.
5: clean hands. Maxine Waters says it's okay to go and find uh, Republican politicians that we disagree with and demonstrate outside their house to yell at them in restaurants till they can't have a meal with their family. That's wrong. That's the type of vitriol that is tearing this country apart and and i which, and,
0: and 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 i'm
5: gonna say that i think there's a
0: there's there's guilt on both sides i happen to agree with the senator i think there's a little bit more guilt on what we're hearing from the very top leader of this party because they don't and, recognize yeah, there's a problem it's, it's, we the, do the, the tone the words the conversation right. is not acceptable for a public official and our
5: leadership denounced whether
0: whether the, it's defendant by the way this is being you – can, you can talk about the press. The press is holding public officials accountable. They hold me accountable as a private citizen, but a private citizen that has a lot of exposure, be that as it may. The bottom line is we can't have someone at the very top, the very top, allowing certain language to permeate throughout our society because guess what? It inflames
5: both sides. Yeah, and the Republican Party obviously. Because he's got to, the biggest bully pulpit. You're referring to President Trump, and the yes. Republican Party deserves blame because when President Trump says something stupid like blaming the pipe bombs on the media, no one in the Republican Party stands up and says, no. It's a no problem. Way. No. Guess no why? Way. Because he is the
0: party. And right now, that's going to end this. Sex, this segment of our two-hour show. I um, love
3: Maxine Waters. I just want to be yeah, real clear about okay. that. So do I, but she's wrong. <laughs>
5: this, this, nah, this the, I don't know about that. Gentlemen, gentlemen, people gentlemen. do not go to people's houses and demonstrate with their kids inside and call them all, all sorts right, of I'm names. All right, I'm going to separate your, she say corners, Go to your respective corners.
0: Go to your respective corners, and we'll be back <laughs> next week and you can come out and meet in the middle of the ring, and we'll continue
2: the conversation. Legal Eagles Radio with Sam Pond, a Legal Eagles political special in Philadelphia on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT in Pittsburgh on your hometown radio station, KDKA.
0: This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management.